Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. I was traveling in the south of, of Madagascar several years ago, and uh, uh, we had uh, spent an entire day uh, seeing people get baptized, and it, w- it was just an incredible day, the very southern tip of Madagascar. And uh, one of the, the, the harsh realities of the day, though, is that we had to get back uh, to a city where we could get into a car and then get on a plane. It was planes, trains, and automobiles. It was a crazy, crazy. Madagascar, if you've ever been there, it's a crazy place. Uh, it's not as developed as, as uh, some would like. On this particular day, we'd had a great day. And uh, my host put his wife and his uh, two children and another lady uh, and me into a vehicle that he had rented and sent us back on a four-hour trip back to this town so that I could get back and fly out from the capital city and, and get back to Namibia. And so we were driving in this rental vehicle. The guy driving the car was someone I did not know. Um, I tried to speak a little French to him. He didn't speak hardly any French, and I didn't speak any Malagasy. And so we, were, we did sign language. Whenever he would look at me, we would do sign language, but it didn't work very well. So as we kept driving, the roads in Madagascar are absolutely terrible. And so literally you would, on these dirt roads, you would drive down, there'd be a, a washed out section of the road where you would drive into this hole, entire car disappears, and then you try to crawl out the other side. This just kept happening for over four hours of driving and just bouncing. And uh, as we kept going, uh, the sun started to set. And uh, as, as anyone would, if you're sitting in a car and, and the sun starts setting, you expect the driver to turn the lights on the car. Right? This is a, it's my expectation. Am I the only one who expects people to turn their lights on when the car? He did not turn his lights on. And we kept going, and I didn't want to be rude. I mean, he's, uh, I didn't know him. I didn't want to suggest to him, you know, how to drive. Uh, excuse me, but, you know, it would mean a lot to me. Maybe you can see, but I can't. And so if you could please. That's what I was thinking. I didn't say that. The sun kept going further and further away, and it got darker and darker and darker, and there were huge trucks coming this way, and we were, I mean, it was just crazy, and, and I couldn't see. And I was thinking, man, this guy's amazing. He either has x-ray vision or... <laughs> I didn't, he didn't have, uh, you know, night viewing goggles either. It, it was just not good. So finally, I just said, um, just very nicely, the best French I could muster up, I said, if you don't mind, uh, it would be, mean a lot to me if you would turn your lights on. And he looked at me and went, <laughs> and didn't do a thing. <laughs> and then, then, he, then he pushed a little button that lit some, uh, looked like parking lights, but not even really good, strong parking lots, lights that he was uh, driving. I thought, this is crazy. We drove for over two hours without lights. And uh, I don't know if we hit anything. We couldn't tell. We couldn't see it if we did hit something or somebody. At some point, halfway into this nightmare, I pulled out, I always carry a headlamp wherever I go that I can view in these places, and so I pulled out my headlamp and uh, I just smiled at him and, and put my headlamp outside the vehicle. Uh, th- that was our headlight for another hour until my battery died. We got to the hotel and I really still to this day don't know if, if he intentionally left his lights off uh, because maybe he was a criminal, We'd, maybe we hired a criminal, he didn't, didn't want to be seen, he wanted to go clandestinely through Madagascar without being caught, or his lights were broken. I'm thinking it's the latter, not the former. But wow, as I unpacked my stuff in our little hotel room, I was thinking, man, was it, was it unrealistic of me to expect him to turn his lights on? 
I had this conversation with myself. What a goofy conversation, right? I said, no, it's not a, that's not unrealistic. You know, we expect people to turn the lights on, headlights on when they're driving. Anyway, I survived. I made it. That's our expectation, right? If you have light in a dark place that you turn it on, that you use it, that you light your way, yes. I love this story because to me it's a metaphor of us, you and me. Uh, Jesus calls us the light of the world. And yet, we don't turn our lights on very often. Uh, unfortunately, we drive with our lights off. In, in a world of constant trouble and instability, and we're all aware of that, we live in a world of instability and trouble, correct? Uh, with bad news every other day, if not every day. If we've become children of God, if we are truly followers of God, um, we really have the privilege of being what Jesus called salt and light. We can be actually the, the solution in a troubled place. Uh, we, can, we can be what lights up. In other words, we can be the life in the mess. This uh, evening, uh, that evening when I was driving in Madagascar, I had several choices. Um, I was tempted to, to, to berate the driver, to let him have it to talk about how he was hired, how he'd been paid to drive us. He had signed up and said he could get us from point A to point B. And, that it, it, and to tell him that you know, it shouldn't be an unrealistic expectation that his lights would work on his car. We expected his engine to work, we expected everything else to work, including his lights. So I had a choice. But I realized that by berating him, uh, attacking him, probably would not get the lights turned on. So I had a choice. I realized, wait a minute, I have a light. And so I reached into my backpack, pulled my light out. He chuckled the rest of the trip with my light on. I, said, I don't know if you thought I was just a, a big baby for needing a light or if he, if he realized that he'd been caught and was just grateful. I'm not sure. But as believers, we are called to be uh, this, this catalytic change in society. Once we become children of God, uh, I suppose it's possible for us to develop sort of a defensive stance. In other words, to try to kind of, in life, as opposed to embracing our new role as a catalytic force of life in, in our difficult world. It's probably easier for us to, once we become believers, is just to try our best to blend in instead of transform the, the environment and the world around us. Easier to blend than to be a catalytic change in society. Uh, most of us, as after we become believers, we still try to dress like we used to and try not to create too many waves, right? We want to be accepted and still uh, received and, and, and loved in the environment and the families and the friends and the culture that we live in. And so typically we choose uh, to be part uh, of society instead of actually being a changer of society. God, God's expectation of us is that we are the, the change makers, uh, not the compromisers. Not the ones who actually lower our standards, but we are the ones who are actually to, to set the standards and to be changers. Not, not the ones who just blend in and, and become unnoticed. How do we do this? The, the radical uh, change that Jesus brought was that we love uh, when people do not love us. We love our enemies. Jesus' example to us was the example of love. Or as the Apostle John said, um, in describing how we should operate and function with love, he said, actually, God is love. And so when we become children of God, we become children of love. We become children of the God who asks us to be this loving, transforming force into our world. 
This new relationship we have with God produces love in us, and it produces love in and love through us and in others. So Paul, who was so changed by God, you know his story, he was Saul, he became Paul. This is what he said in terms of the expectation of transformation that takes place once we become children of God. He contrasts this, and it's not on the screen here, but contrasts this in Galatians 5. I just want to give you these, uh, these characteristics. He says that a person who doesn't know God is... The results are very clear. If you live by your sinful nature, there's going to be sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And if you're ever reading this passage in Scripture, you're probably going to have to look up a few of these things to just truly understand how evil the world is, right? Um, what is dissension? What is division? Isn't it the same thing? What is selfish ambition? But in terms of God coming into our lives and changing us, there's this expectation that the Spirit will produce something different than who we used to be. Paul goes on to say that the Spirit produces the kind of fruit, and the first, the first list there is the word love. The Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, Patience, I just want to see how patient you were this morning. <laughs> Kindness, when's the last time we were kind? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul goes on to say there's no law against this stuff. You know, in other words, this is how we should be. So when Christ comes into your life, become a child of God, this is the person that you're supposed to become. And it's the person you become because of the Spirit powering you, working through your life. There's transformation that takes place. That person is the person that's been dropped in the mess of this world. A person who operates not from hostility and dissension and division, but operates from the perspective of love and compassion. The fact is, is that we as believers, if we're children, if we've been transformed, we become this catalytic change. We operate differently. We are oddballs in this world. We're the ones who are not normal. And God has dropped us into a world that is a mess. Year, years ago, Dan and I visited an animal rescue shelter uh, where they had just received four uh, orphaned uh, lion cubs. And they were going to raise these lion cubs. And they were trying to figure out how to raise these lions without getting killed. They were, they were really small. So they decided to put a, um, a very gentle, uh, fully grown dog, their pet, into this cage. If pets could talk, I'm sure this dog had a <laughs> strong <laughs> opinions of that decision. But this dog was a master. This dog actually instantly knew his job, took control of those cubs, and raised those cubs as if they were his own. Uh, we got there when the cubs were about six months old and uh, much bigger and more powerful than this dog. But this dog was in charge. And this dog was the peace in this craziness. And they were following him everywhere uh, in, this, in this enclosure, doing what he did, behaving properly. Short of barking, they were really, really wonderful animals. Uh, so, so wonderful that uh, we got to feed them later. I had the opportunity of actually picking one of these things up um, I will say that one of these lions jumped on my back and tried to bite my neck, uh, but um, <clears throat> I'm still here. So obviously 
the dog's influence on these lines was more powerful than, than that innate, you know, I want to kill that lines seem to carry. Uh, and, and this is really our perspective. God has transformed us. And the expectation is that God changes us and then puts us into a messed up place, right? I mean, that's our reality. Many of you can tell stories about this. You might feel like as a believer, as a child of God, and seeing how God has changed your life, and you look around at your family and your friends, you realize maybe you're the only one who seems to be normal. You feel that way sometimes? Maybe you're the only one who's the peace in the chaos. And you, you might feel very alone. You might feel like, why me? But God has placed you there to be that influence. Look, Jesus didn't lie about this, okay? He says this. He says that, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, all right? Uh, in other words, very gentle creatures in the middle of, of predators. Uh, that's where we have been placed. Change people are dropped into an unchanged world and are asked to lead the charge for change. That's our invitation. That's our commandment of God is that we are placed there. When, when a spirit-controlled individual is dropped into this world, there is an expected impact to the surroundings. The expectation is that as we are dropped into the world, that we turn our lights on. And that we drive with our lights on bright. So that people can see the majesty and glory of God. Not see us, but see Him. And there's this transforming thing that happens. The reality is that we live in a mess. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. This is what he said. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be, be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Because we have a great reward, because we've been transformed by God, we will be mocked, we'll be persecuted, we will be lied about. This is a long list of, of things that happen to those who claim Christ, right? Jesus is saying here that people are going to mock, revile you. That's to tease you, to scornfully contempt in a contemptuous manner. Criticize you in an abusive or angry, insulting manner. People will say things about you, will treat you in ways that are absolutely rude and inappropriate. As a father of Christ, this is how you will be treated. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to be subject to hostility and treatment, maybe even uh, with, with maybe uh, injured or, or in, some, in some situations, people are persecuted to the point of uh, being killed, martyrdom is a possibility as followers of Christ. God says, be blessed when these things happen to you. I mean, be happy when these things happen to you because you are blessed. People might lie about you. Has anyone ever told a lie about you? Spread rumors about you that aren't true? Very often to get something for themselves, they, they paint you in a bad light. Has anyone slandered your name? Has anyone lied about you? This is the expectation as followers of Christ is that this will happen. And Jesus says, don't get all grouchy and complain and defensive, but be the light and the salt in that moment. How do we function in that world? We are supposed to be happy. Dr. Luke, in quoting Jesus, says this. He says, when that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. Not, don't just, you know, be, oh, that's great. But really be so happy that you're jumping up and down. Leap for joy. Have you ever leapt for joy? This is like the total, complete opposite of what we normally do when we go through hard times, right? I'm going through a hard time. Yes, this is great. We typically don't do that. 
I don't know if I've ever jumped up so excited because I'm being persecuted or slandered or lied about. Why do we do this? Because great is our reward. We're looking for something amazing. We as believers have been changed, and so we live in this world. We know that this is not the end. God wins in the end. We ultimately will be with him. We're not alone in this either. Many others have gone before us. It's interesting to me that as believers today, very often we look back at those believers who came before us that we read about in Scripture and think, well, they were unique. They were interesting. This would only happen to them. And you realize that we are living in the same world. And just as God worked through Saul and, and all of these apostles, God works through us. Just as they were light in their day, we are also expected to be light in our day. We should not be surprised when bad things happen to us. That's why Peter wrote, when he wrote the disciples in his letter, he said, don't be surprised when bad things happen to you, as if something strange were happening. The reality is, is that God has changed us, made us these wonderful, transformed creatures that he loves dearly. And he's placed his children, us, into a mess like placing a dog in a lion's den, right? That's really where we are. He says, you are like sheep. I'm placing you in the midst of wolves. That's, that's our reality that we live in. And just when you think you can escape this reality, what, is, what does Jesus say before he's crucified? L look at this. This is really incredible to me. John 17 says, I have given them your word. And he's praying to the Father before he's crucified. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you take them out of the world. And I think the disciples who are probably hearing him pray this prayer probably went, huh? <laughs> when he said that. But to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. We become children of God. We are... As, as Paul puts it, we're aliens, we're strangers, we're these oddballs who've been transformed. And we, we bear with us the character of God, which is love. And we are placed in a world that knows nothing about love. In a world of evil and hate and, and destruction and disease. And, and we are to be the salt and light in those moments. We are in this world. Uh, and the question really is, is who we are to be in this mess. The reality is we're in a tough, a tough world. We talked about it today already. But who are we to be in, those, in that situation? Matthew 5 goes on to say, Matthew 5, 13 says, you are the what? The salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the what? Light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We are still salt. We are still light in the mess. But we are in a mess. Jesus is still life. No matter what people say or do against us, Jesus is still life. Sometimes all we are is an example of something that really works, <laughs> just by the way we behave. Sometimes people look at us and say, why are they so calm in this crazy situation? 
We bring peace. Our job is to bring this peace, to bring this fun, to bring justice, uh, to bring perspective to situations. My oldest son was a baseball player, and uh, he was coached by a man who would, uh, well, he would scream at the, uh, the referees. And uh, we would go to watch baseball games, and we would sit in the stands together. And uh, he would go start coaching, and then he would start screaming at refs. Now, normally I expect this of, referee, of coaches to actually scream and holler at, at referees, their players, and the other team. And, but, but this guy was a member of my church. And uh, he had just been uh, asked to be a deacon in our church. And we expect different things. <laughs> well, first of all, I expected different things of people in my church. And then secondly, I expected even more from a person who's a deacon, who's supposed to symbolize and model and demonstrate this, this kind, gentle servant spirit. I went to a game, and he was screaming and on. He looked back at me. He saw me, and he was embarrassed. And so after the game, he said, listen, I wanted to know if you could always keep coming to your game. I know you want to come see your son, but when I look at you, I realize that I shouldn't be behaving like this. So when you come, if you can come and sit right here where I can always see you, I know you're there. So when you come, please tell me that you're here, and it'll keep me focused. I said, I can do that. My job, my only job, was just to go enjoy my kid and be a stabilizing influence for this guy. He didn't yell anymore uh, once we made this pact. It's our job. Our job is to be these kinds of people who actually demonstrate how life should be. Salt and light. But what good is salt if it loses its flavor? What good are we if we don't operate like we've been designed to operate? What good is a car in the middle of nowhere? Truly, this is the end of the earth place where I was. If you see the map, this is the end of the earth right here. You're driving in this crazy place. My expectation is that there's supposed to be light. It's not unrealistic. Our expectation of us, God's expectation of us, is that as transformed people, we become this transforming uh, influence to our families, to our friends in society. What good is salt if it loses its flavor? What good is salt if you don't use it, right? Have you ever eaten unflavored food? You like it? You know, salt is one of the most used ingredients of, of all spices, probably the most. And uh, it really makes food taste better. Unless you have kidney trouble, you need salt. Who lights a lamp and puts it under a basket? It's just, to me, the tone of this passage is Jesus was like, it's unfathomable to think that anyone would actually light a light and then cover it up. It's unfathomable that we would be transformed by God and then do nothing with the transformation. That we would have zero impact on those around us. Luke 6 says this, love your enemies, do good to them. These are the words of Christ. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. That's crazy. Then your reward, your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Wow. This is the kind of unbelievable expectation of God is that he loves people. He expects us to love people who are unthankful, ungrateful, and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Salt, salt. It's, it purifies, right? 
salt, it, it preserves and it flavors. Christians, as one theologian said, Christians must be the cleansing antiseptic of any society in which they happen to be. So Christians are to be the detal of society. They must be the ones who by their presence defeat corruption. I think I said something I didn't mean to say over here. Yeah. Detal. Detal, thank you. Yeah. I'm losing this side of them. <laughs> when they start laughing, I know I said something wrong. Yeah. But we're supposed to be this cleansing agent to defeat corruption and make it easier for others to be good. No, that's our job. We know salt kills some types of bacteria, effectively uh, processed through osmosis. It actually sucks water out of bacteria and kills the bacteria. It's an interesting dynamic that salt is. Salt is a very interesting uh, uh, combination of, <laughs> of elements on the periodic table. Uh, namely, uh, sodium and chlor. And chlor. <laughs> oh, wow. Today, Lord help us all. Yeah. If anything else, my job is to make you laugh today, so it's good. So salt flavors. It brings life and joy to your food, right? The only way for salt to lose its saltiness is, for, is from a chemical perspective. So salt is the salt that you have usually in your house is going to be iodized salt. If you look on your label of your salt container, that you bought from the store, it'll have an expiration date. It's not because of the salt, it's because of it's connected to, to iodine, which, which makes it uh, uh, basically an impurity has been attached to it. It's a preservative, at the same time, it actually breaks the salt down. So salt actually uh, has an expiration date if it's connected to other chemicals. But salt all by itself loves to be together. NaCl, it's a very stable substance. The chemical bond is very tight. Sodium and chlorine are, are happy to become one and share their one electron. It's like a, they work out really well. Uh, it's like a happily married couple. Uh, they just love to be married no matter what happens. Uh, it's who they are. It's a very stable, stable, stable salt. We can lose our flavor, right? Salt loses its flavor when it's diluted, when it's mixed with water uh, and is thinned out. We cannot, salt can also lose its flavor when it uh, has impurities uh, connected to it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had or tried old salt in your house. It's just not quite as salty tasting as it, as it was when you first bought it. Scripture here says that uh, what good is salt when it loses its flavor? It's only good to be thrown out and trampled upon, to be walked on. Uh, basically, salt that's not a good salt is really becomes gravel. It becomes your, 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 your path that you walk on. Useful only for being trampled uh, by people's feet. And then all of a sudden, salt becomes an example of what doesn't work. And, and as if we take this metaphor to us, when we are not being salty, uh, we become a pivot point. We become the place where unbelievers look and say, aha, okay, this is why I'm not a believer. We become that place where they put their foot on us and they pivot off and they say, I don't want any part of this because of their behavior. We become gravel. We become trampled underfoot. We become an example of what doesn't work instead of an example of what we should be. And unfortunately, often we are these people that just get trampled on. And we get pointed at us saying, ah, oh, that's why. 
I will never be a follower of Jesus because of look how they behave. Light. Nothing is faster than light. I believe that light travels at 300,000 kilometers per hour. I can't even fathom that speed. To date, there's really nothing that we know of that's faster than light. If you have a light when it's dark, how strange it would be that you don't use it for yourself and for others. The expectation of light is that light will always overpower darkness. Darkness is no match for light. There's no way that darkness can overwhelm light. Because darkness really is, in its, in its pure definition, darkness is the absence of light. Darkness really isn't a thing. It's something that doesn't have light. It's a space without light. When light comes in, it just penetrates everywhere. And it can be the smallest of light, but darkness cannot overcome light. I feel like Jesus is saying here, though, that uh, it, comparing us to salt and to light. Basically, uh, salt and light are catalysts. They come in, they transform everything around it, but they themselves are not transformed. Darkness can't overcome light, nor can anything overcome salt. If you oversalt your food, what happens? Have you ever put, tried to put sugar on top of your food when you were a kid and didn't know better? I did that one time, thinking, I can just put some more sugar in here. It'll overcome the salt. No, it doesn't work. It absolutely does not work. The only way you can get salt out of something is to take it out. Salt doesn't change. It continues to impact. The more you put, the more impact it has. It's catalytic in that sense in that it changes. Salt and light cannot be overcome. I feel like Jesus is saying here, it would be more surprising for you to be changed by the world than for you to be a world changer. In, in this context, it's more surprising that you don't change everything around you. But our expectation of ourselves very often is that we don't change a thing. Jesus is saying, you're not changing? That's crazy. How could that be? You don't have your lights on? You didn't salt your food? You ate that without seasoning? A good metaphor for me is listen to a guy speak to me when I was in university. Stood up and he said this. Yes, this is a bizarre question. He said, students, are you a chameleon or are you a catalyst? Well, that's a crazy question. He went on to define this. And just for those of you who don't know what a chameleon is, a chameleon is a reptile. Uh, some might even call it a lizard. Who is a very unique animal, right? And we love them. Every time I see a chameleon, I stop because I want to see this thing in action. They've got crazy eyes, right? And one of the things they're most known for is for changing the color of their skin to suit whatever mood they're in or whatever environment they're next to. Uh, they usually change their skin to be camouflaged. We used, to, we used to have a chameleon that we kept. I don't know why we kept a chameleon, but this chameleon was always fun to watch because you'd put it into a bush and he would climb up. Instantly, his skin color would change, right? And he would look just like the same color of the leaves on the tree. Then he would step onto a branch and he would, he would shrink his body up and to be as thin as possible. And, uh, and then he would start mimicking the, the, the wind blowing on the, the tree. He'd, do the same way 
waiting for food to show up so he could zap it with his tongue to take it in. Chameleons, their goal is survival by defensive camouflage. That's their job. They sneak up to their food or wait for the food to land near their camouflage selves and then they nab the food with a very fast, extremely long and sticky tongue. You've seen this before, it's really quite amazing. Chameleons are extraordinary. But they're the opposite of who we should be. Are we a chameleon or are we catalysts? Catalysts, on the other hand, a catalyst are these chemicals that either speed up a reaction or they, they actually create a reaction. Catalysts are not consumed in the reaction. They remain unchanged. Do you know that 90% of commercially produced uh, goods that we use every day of our life are produced by some kind of catalyst that's placed into this to make this thing work and function? Catalysts are, are, are a part of our society. We can't really now live without catalysts. Are, are we like this? Salt is an, an incredible catalyst. It's used constantly in chemical uh, uses and, and for products that we use every day of our life. Are we chameleons or are we catalysts? Are we, are we blending in so well that friends and family would be surprised to know that we're followers of Jesus Christ? You know, chameleons are, are actually reactive to the environment. In, instead, of, instead of changing their environment, they react to their environment. I feel like that's what we do often, is that instead of actually being a transforming force in an environment, we become the ones who just react to it. And we adjust ourselves to cater for society. One of the big, big things that was a frustration through COVID for a lot of people was that people felt like that, that, that the church was actually um, bending uh, to society's norm instead of actually being a changer in that moment. It was, it, it was a very divisive uh, point of conversation in many churches was that what should we do? Should we actually stand out? Should we, should we cover our face? Should we not cover our face? What should we do? Now, shouldn't we actually have our, our, our mask open so that we can praise openly? Uh, these were the conversations that were being had all over the world. How, what should the church be? Should they continue to meet even though they were told not to meet? I don't have answers to all that. It was a confusing, confusing time. What I do know is that we are to be the changers, not the ones who just blend in. Every now and again, a Hollywood star will announce that they're a believer. You ever see this sometimes? There'll be some little video of them and say, yeah, this guy's, a, this guy's a follower of Jesus. And we're all surprised, right? Because we've not seen anything in their character <laughs> that looks anything like Jesus. They go, hey, yeah, I actually serve Jesus too. And I do this and I do this. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm born again. Okay, all right. Then change your clothes maybe. <laughs> or put some clothes on. <laughs> when we become salt and light, we become catalysts. Salt and light are both in their way, catalyst. We are transformers of society. As believers, as children of God, we now become the most sought after seasoning. Salt is the most popular seasoning of all, of all spices in the history of spices. We are to become the most sought after seasoning. We also, um, when we turn our lights on, uh, we need to put it on a stand so everyone can see it. 
the goal of turning your light on is so it would light up everything around you. Listen, we've moved from the valley and we have moved to the hilltop so that we can be seen. Look at Matthew 5, verse 16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out. For who to see? For all to see. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So often we're so busy saying, no, 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 that's just not, that's rude. That's, uh, if I say this, it'll, it'll hurt people's feelings. When in reality is God is asking us to be this voice. To be the voice of change and transformation in society. To speak up, to be bold. Look, a lot of us live with this kind of fear and that's why we're encouraged to actually pray for boldness. God, help me to be bold. Help me to be this light. Help me to be this salt. It's always our choice, right? We can always not be the salt. We can always be dark. We can have this light, but actually cover it up. We're invited to let everyone see it. The bottom line is, we're, not, we're invited not to be humble about the transformation of God in our lives. There's a lot of reasons to, to have humility in life but not about what God has done in your life. Be bold and lift him up. Praise him. Lift him high. Let him be seen. The goal of letting your good deeds shine, look at verse 16, says, so that everyone will do what? So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Get out there. Don't be shy about this light. Don't be shy about the salt. God transforming you has uh, an expectation that it's going to be a change for all those around you. Your salt, not powder, your salt. Your light. I love what Paul says to Timothy. He says this in talking about doing his duties. 1 Timothy 4 verse 18 verse 15 says throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your what your progress throw yourself into your work do good work so that everyone can see them don't be shy about doing things well keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching stay true to what is right for the sake of what your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Our, our, our goal here is to, to let people see. And it goes against its counterculture, right, to, to actually be bold about all the good things that we're doing. But if our boldness and our good works are such that uh, they actually shine a light onto the goodness of God, that, that's the kind of good works we need to be showing off. Uh, that, that, that's the behavior that needs to be displayed for all to see. Do your good works, not that you are praised, but do good works so that God is praised, so that your light shines brightly, salt in life. Are we chameleons or are we catalysts? Who are we today? Are we making chameleon type plans? Are we making catalytic type plans? In every aspect of our life, we are called to be light and salt. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. 
Lord Jesus, we come before you and, and we confess, God, we have turned our lights off. Lord Jesus, we have not been seasoning. And Lord, we ask God that uh, you would remind us once again in your mercy and your grace of, of who you changed us to be. And Lord, give us those practical tips, Father, of how truly we can be salt, how truly we can be light. Lord, we know that you have intentionally placed us into a difficult world. But Lord, you have transformed us. And Father, you can transform our environment. You can transform our culture. Lord, thank you for this incredible commission of yours, that Lord, we are to be your representatives. Lord, we love you, we thank you. In your name I pray, amen. This is Rico Veca, and I'm also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.